You're listening to The Hoof of the Horse, a podcast dedicated to farriery and equine science with Dr. Simon Curtis. Our sponsors for today's episode are Hoof Care Essentials Foundation and their partner, Diamond Farrier Company. So we're here in Cincinnati, USA, and we're at the International Hoof Care Summit, which is drawing to a close. It's the 16th annual time that it's been run. And I've had the opportunity to sit down with Dan Bradley, who I've known for 30 years. Uh, And Dan uh, was a farrier when I first met him, and he's just about retired from shoeing, but he's had a long and varied career. So we're going to talk to him over the next 20 minutes or so about his career. Dan. The first and easiest question is to ask you about uh, how you got into shoeing horses. Well, you know, it's just kind of like, uh, yeah, that's a good question, how you get back in. I've always been around them ever since I was a, a knee-high a grasshopper, really, and and uh, always been fascinated with horses. And then in the early years, uh, worked on them as in my teens. And then, uh, like being any young boy in California, I started getting more the race cars and engineering and stuff like that so kind of faded out on that went into building race cars and stuff like that and and have a good time surfing all day long and just being a kid and then um, I went in the service in 67 and, and uh, when I got out of the military in, in uh, 1970 then um, it's interesting I was recruited by Mercedes-Benz and then uh, to be when they're suspension guys for the corporation and uh, I didn't want to go to the corporate route so I, and I've always been fascinated with horses because it always had four different suspension joints and I wanted to be independent. Well that's great. Yeah, now you mentioned that you saw military service but of course that was not a great time to see military service <coughs> if you were an American and of course that was a Vietnam War so how long did you spend in Vietnam? I did uh, two and a half. When we do a tour and a half, well, I mean a half a tour because I didn't quite make it on my second one. Okay, so so things didn't go so well, and um, uh, and you come out, and as you say, you then didn't immediately start shoeing no. again. No, no. Did no. did you go to a, a shoeing school? When I got out, I needed a little practice, so I did, and it, it's one of the ones I did in the early days. Went to, and it's really funny. The guys that went to that school was. We call him Uncle Bud, and that Bud Beeson School that was in Oklahoma, which is about back in the, those early early seventies, is about the only uh, big school that was around. So uh, I went to his school in Sperry, Oklahoma. And how long was the course? Two months. Two months. That's when I think that at that time, I believe that that probably was about the longest of any of the school's courses were. Yeah. I believe. And I think at that time a lot of ex-military went into shoeing, didn't they? Or they got vocational training of some sort. I I think so because, uh, well, that in the early seventies stuff was we, uh, everyone was very wanted to be very independent, and the way to be very independent, being liking animals and and being around with horses and stuff, is that the the way they went. And I believe that a lot of uh, the people that started. Men and women started in the early 70s were 
stay in the industry a lot longer than uh, some of the young people today are. Yeah. They've made a career out at least been 20, 30, 40 years in it. Yeah. Well, as I say, I've, I've known you 30 years. I remember my first trip to the States and uh, staying with you in, in California. And, and yeah, you lost me in an account. I, I only enhanced your business. Now, tell you, you didn't mention, though, as a Californian boy, you were a surfer, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you go up and, and where I grew up is that you, it's not you can't do it anymore, but you could ride your horse down the beach and surf all day long and ride your horse back home. Can't do it now, though. No? Oh, well. But at least you did it. You were, oh, yeah. you were about in the time that you could do it. So, now, for, for a long time, um, you've been, uh, you've had a role with uh, GE, who make, obviously, the, yes, the Rolls-Royce of Farrier Tools. So, tell us how you got into that. Is that uh, <coughs> Beth Garner and Walt Garner were the owners of uh, um, GE at that time. And... Um, they were doing a transition where they were turning the business over to their son, Bob. And uh, Beth was trying to get out of the business. And they wanted somebody, and I knew Beth uh, through because we lived pretty well close to each other. And um, and seen people at, at shooting events and that type of thing. And they needed somebody to take Beth's place, to be uh, recognized by horseshoers and, and be able to talk to them and this type of thing because Beth did a lot with the American Ferry Association. She started a lot of the stuff that was with it. So uh, she kind of just uh, groomed me for the position, I guess you could say that. So then I, when she uh, essentially retired, is that I took her place. Okay. And uh, so your role at the moment is you travel widely around the States, don't you? So you're, you're on the road for how much of the time? I'm on the road in the, in the uh, the longest I was ever on the road, it was this is quite a few years ago, was 270 days. Yeah. Okay, out of, and to try to retain a practice at the same time was kind of tough. But uh, uh, I've been all every all lower 48 states. Yeah. Put it that way, I travel around all lower 48. Uh, and that, that must give you a really wide view of um, shoeing practice in the states and uh, the regional it, differences. <coughs> regional difference, it really has, and you talk to people and uh, from horseshoers all over the country and the same problems they have in, in one section of the country, the same concerns they have in the other part of the country. Uh, and it's such a community and that uh, anywhere you go, you find a local horseshoer and you're instant friends. You know, I mean, you can, you can be friends with anybody anywhere if they're uh, as a horseshoer. It's, it's pretty incredible the kind of family we have. Yeah, that's great. And um, obviously, some of the things that you might notice by your traveling is um, uh, how much uh, environment plays in, in different shoeings and hoof quality. And oh, yes, it's, it's most definite. A good example is <clears throat> that when I lived in California, I moved and uh, you had visited my place there, so you know what it was like hard, rocky ground. And I had moved to Mississippi. So I go from a dry environment to a wet environment, and I had one of our Arab uh, broodmares is that, uh, I had to admit it, but I trimmed her once every a year if she needed it or not, you know? And uh, when we moved to Mississippi, is that I had to keep her on a 30-day schedule because 
all wet and moisture is that she would just, gravity would take over and she would just sink and her feet would just flare out. And I found that down there is that you had to keep, in that wet environment, you had to keep horses under control. And all my clients were on 30-day rotation because if you let them get out of control, especially the barefoot ones, they would develop toe cracks because the foot would just flare out. And the weakest point is in the dorsal wall in front, so it would just crack right there. So you, if you kept them under control, you wouldn't have that problem. Yeah. And then if you take other places, like a northern uh, country like Nevada and some place where it's all granite, you find a lot of uh, pasture horses with upright feet because they're like a, a goat and have to climb on granite all day long. Where you go down to other parts of the country where like in the south or where it's um, desert where it's alkaline is that you'll have big platter feet. Yeah, well, that's, it's been a great opportunity for you to observe that. Now, the other thing you might have observed is differences in pricing by farriers across the states. It's not all one price, is it? Oh, no, it's the... the it, it's really a, um, a space apart. Uh, there's places where it's two, $250, $400 a shore, and there's other places where it's you can get them done for 35 or 55 so it's it's really a spread it all has to do with the economics and also too is uh uh your clientele yeah really so the most expensive though are mainly on the rich west coast and the rich east coast aren't they is that where the well i think are? i i think you would go like you do in the 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 wealthy part of the west coast wealthy part of the northeast and then uh essentially well you can go down to florida where west palm beach is and ocala is in those places, but there's other standpoints like there's places in Texas and Tennessee and other places where usually it's I would say the higher price ones are your your hunter jumpers and event horses. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. So as you mentioned, that all the time for for most of those years uh, with GE, you were also running a shoeing business, weren't you? You you never stopped shoeing. No, no. I had a I was. I was burned the candle at both ends, let's put it that way. Yeah, I had a, my regular clientele in the last 10 years of my, my lot of errors, did a lot of Arabians at the height of the Arabian season, and I had, and this is why you get really stupid, I had over a thousand horses on my books every eight weeks, you know, for eight weeks. And that's when I was stupid. And uh, the last 10 years of my career, full-time career, I guess you could say, was doing uh, event horses. Not all upper-level event horses, but intermediates. Yeah, so I enjoy doing event horses and driving horses. Okay. And uh, I remember when I visited and stayed with you, uh, one of the differences between the U.S. and the U.K. was that at that time in, in the U.K., we didn't have the big rigs. You know, we didn't have work vans kitted out. And then I got to the States, and, and the farriers had these great big vehicles. And yours, I remember, was so wide but the thing that, that most impressed me was it had a coal forge in it, didn't it? And we never, ever had that. <laughs> Back in those days, it was, uh, uh, we all had coal forges, and this is before we switched, everybody switched over to coke. So it's all coal forges. And then I had, when the gas forges first came out, I incorporated one in the side of my coal forge. And so, uh, and I used it primarily for like, if I were resetting shoes or something like that, I could fire them, just throw them in there, and let them heat, unless and now I could be using my cold forge uh, to be making shoes or whatever. And uh, the the gas forge was just for uh, heating them up, not for making shoes or anything like that time.
but that's when the gas forges first came out and uh, then it just progressed from there so what do you have now is all because now you can't have coal for especially when it was in California because everybody stopped you going your trucks on fire or you know this kind yeah. of thing. I just tell them it was you know steam powered or something and, and that was the thing because it wasn't coal because it was coal it was coal but even when you drove off of course there's a certain oh, say, you know, it was smoking it was, out it the back you know you get a draw and so it keeps the fire running right so it's, it's smoking all over the place you know yeah. yeah, pretty cute. Yeah, great fun. But, but you, do you shoe any horses now? Just right now, I'm, I'm, I'm basically, I guess you could say I'm retired now. I have, I, I have enough of my own. I have 22 horses of my own. And so doing that, the reason I quit because my eyesight's gone bad and, and uh, from an old eye injury I had many, many years ago. And then uh, I have what they call wet uh, monocular de degeneration in one eye. So my depth perception is, is gone and I just can't... Uh, Justify working on clients' horses now because my depth perception is so bad. Yeah, well, there comes a point where we all need to retire, though, Dan. You know, you go. Oh, yeah, I use in when I have given classes to young, young farriers at schools or whatever, is that I always say to remember that you only have so many horses in you, and some of us have more and some of us have less. So it's, it's it, but there's only so many in, in each one of us. So during your time, what sort of, what are the main changes you've seen to our industry? Boy, there's been so many, is that I, uh, I think one of the primary is that we've gone to a gas forge, I think, I think, and, and the development of gas forges is, 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 uh, is developing better. And I think one of the biggest one was, is that when I was working with Mike Savoldi, and I've known Mike as, as longer, longer than I've known you, and, and, uh, we do well and people enjoy having us together because it's pretty comic routine but anyway um yeah you're like the two old guys in the muppet show aren't yeah. you? Up in the gallery that's what <laughs> yes. you're like anyway uh uh i think one of the biggest things that came out was that we were always looking for uh support and so we found when vet tech came out with their products is that uh, i believe they were the first one is that it was a lifesaver to a lot of different things. I mean, even when I was working with Bernie Chapman, it's that we needed that, we didn't know anything. We, then we found uh, Duramex 4040, which was an automotive thing, and uh, we used to use that, and then uh, VetTech came out with their stuff, and it was just a godsend, really, really helped us all out. Yeah, so the, so the principles of you in the traditional way haven't changed, but now we have these modern materials that yeah, give us advantages. And with the, I think one of the other things that have gone with social media and stuff is that people like Mike Savoldi and other people in, in the country have done more and more work with internal structures of the foot. And that's where it's all at, is that uh, what we're putting on is prosthesis on the outside for where the horse is doing with their discipline is. But it all goes back to the basics of what is, how that animal's built, what the feet are like. That's, it's all basic. All right, so now I think, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, that you're Farrier Industry Association President. Is that right? Uh, yeah, Farrier Industry Association Prez, yeah. I've been a, I've well, been Prez a, rather than President. President, I'm sorry. President. Okay, Mr. President. Yeah. So t tell us what that involves and what this association is. Well, the association started in the 80s, and what it is is a communication between all the uh, industries from retailers to manufacturers or people within the industry. And we have uh, business conferences and also how to train people 
not train people, but give them a feedback of what's going on within the industry with, uh, say, a retailer in one part of the country, a retailer in another part of the country, <clears throat> and how to maintain a business. Because one thing is that a lot of horseshoes that we don't ever learn, and a lot of people that have gone into the retail business, they have no business education. So what we're trying to do is educate people on business and how to run a business and how to maintain it. And now with the social media and with internet, it's gone on to how to use the internet to your advantage in your business. So, as I said in my introduction, we're, we're sitting here at the International Hoof Care Summit. Uh, and, you know, people that haven't been wouldn't realize the scale of it. The trade show alone has 125 booths, doesn't it? it yes, it is. quite, just getting around everything as a farrier to look at all the different equipment is quite something. And what like the Hoof Care Summit and like the trade show at the AFA convention does, it gives people opportunity to go out and, and talk to people. Yeah. And there's so many new things, it's like, uh, oh, just the, how many aluminum shoes are out there is un unbelievable. And then new tools are coming out, new hammers and this and whatever, new types of uh, ways to rebuild a foot, you know, different things that time. They're all out there, so it gives a, a, uh, a sure a chance. Books. Books. books, oh yeah, oh yeah. We have a, a really fabulous book that's written <laughs> by some guy named Simon Curtis. So, but uh, and I think well to give you credit, Simon, is that your books when you first started bringing out your first book, and I have, was very privileged to be able to co-author the first two ones. I don't know how good I did, but I, I, it was very uh, uh, prestigious for me to be able to do that. And, but it opens up, and then, because every time before that, we all had just Doug Butler's book, or uh, Hoof, um, Lameness and Horses by uh, Adams, or some of the other ones that were in the 1800s. So now, Doug, we had Doug this going Butler's on. book wasn't in the 1800s. No, 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 some of the ones that were before But I mean, those, those books you he's mentioned not that are, are, I know he's not that old. are marvelous books. It, it, yeah. It's one of the things that strikes me is that we only get a new Farrier book every three or four years, don't we? Yes, we If do. you buy them all. So there's, there's right. it, it, you know, I think that's something that ought to change, but um, it, I'm doing my best to change it. Oh, exactly, and, and I think, because I like a printed material myself, because if you go to the, to the internet, well, because I'm old dude, right? If you go to the internet, I just like to be able to come back and, and use it as a reference. That's why you have a library. And as you come back, we're like, with uh, internet stuff, all the, all the information's there, right? But you gotta fire it up, you gotta do this, or I can just go right back and pick something up and I gotta look, you know, I wanna think about that. So I can tell you, film through, there it is. I can write it down or look at it, or, and so I think printed material myself well, we, will never go away. We were told 15 years ago that the internet would be the death of books, and it's actually been the opposite. It's been shown that oh, book sales so. have increased because people <coughs> find out there are new books that they wanna read. The I other problem so. with in, internet information is is the validation of it, isn't it? It's all equal, and yet we know it's not equal. You know, some people, it, it, when you're at a conference, you have a better idea of who you're listening to and 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 the, the validity of their, their statements. On the internet, sometimes, we can all publish on the internet. You, well, it, it, it's not gospel, which on the internet, but I think with, that's another thing that we were talking about, uh, the differences between the 70s and today, there's so much opportunity for people to learn. Is that like with this Hoof Care Summit, um, there is so much you can listen to and, and your speakers that you want to listen to and then you can go to uh, like the NFA convention and listen to that. Or then like here in the States is that uh, a lot of the little, the retail stores are having clinics. And 
then they, they bring in a representative that might be from um, some other company like from Mustad or Kirkhart or, or a big operation and then they can come and listen to them. So the opportunities are there. Yeah. Yeah, that's the same in the UK as well. Um, uh, the only thing I'd say it slightly makes various think is that education is free when they get too many free clinics. Um, I, I know, I mean, yeah. the International <coughs> Hoop Care Summit is expensive and, and uh, so is AFA Convention, which shows you can get hundreds of barriers at an event if it's, if it's well organised and it has lots of things for people to see. And they both have, like the summit and the convention, they've been doing it for so many years that they they know how to put a, a program on. Yeah. Yeah, and it's that's it's fabulous. I mean, it's just for anybody to come to, maybe be able to afford just one or the other, is go to one or the other. Yeah. They are. Well, that's what I try to say to Farris. You know, they shouldn't be missing these things. If they're really serious about their job, they should be at one of these. Yeah, because this is a career, and you always, you never quit learning. I learn even all the time, and like my friend uh, Mike, he's uh, been doing one project since 1974, yeah. and he's got about two more years to do it, so we never quit learning. So he says, you and I know Mike, his two years to do it is probably is probably going to extend it by at least uh, he'll seven. be dead with a pair of legs between, you know, <laughs> between his knees and with a bottle of makers next to him, and he'll be dead. <laughs> So we mentioned the AFA convention, and of course that's on uh, in the middle of March. Um, how long have you been a member of the American Farriers Association? Well, let's see, my number is 577. So that's uh, since, I guess that would be from the 70s sometime, when it first started. And, uh, so. so you were in right at the start, were you? Pretty much well, so. obviously yeah. from your number. Pretty much so, yeah. And... Uh, and I think you said in a year or two it's, it is having a 50th anniversary convention. 2021 will be the 50th anniversary. Yeah, well, I'm going to try and make sure I'm there. Yeah. I remember our first convention was 1978 in Fresno, California. And uh, um, that's when it was in a little motel and, and the talks were in little motel rooms and the marketplace was in a, you know, probably a room maybe 50 feet long and by 20 feet wide and that's, how, that's all it was and then when people were talking to each other they'd be fine and sitting in the hallways you know, but now it's developed into this yeah. huge thing. Yeah, so um, I haven't been to, I mean I've been to AFA conventions just two or three in the last 10 years but there was a time when I didn't miss for oh, probably 10 or 12 years and, and they're always yeah. such great, you, well you you make friends that you keep for life, don't you? Well, yeah, exactly right, Simon. On that is that with like the AFA convention, we used to have you start meeting people from other countries, and then you start making friendships, and the people would come back, and you would see them. And we haven't seen them in a year, and then you start these friendships up. And like I said, the people you can go anywhere in the world and uh, find a local horseshoe, and then uh, uh, they'll just take you and eat their way. Yeah, anywhere you go. It's amazing. It's an amazing community, and I'm I'm really pleased that um, it seems the interest from people in Britain has has there's been a resurgence in coming over here. I sometimes used to think I was almost the the only one. You know, there was only two or three of us that used to oh, yeah. come over and visit. And I mean, at this at this International Hoof Care Summit, there's got to be. 15 or 20 British, certainly. There's a lot of Swedish here, I bet, you know. I oh, know. yeah. Well, look at the speakers they had here yeah. at the summit this year is that uh, uh, 
Bean and, and um, Jay Toby was speaking right. Mark Coldwell and me. Mark Coldwell, and, yeah, and, and so there's there's just four right there. We're just thinking about it. So yeah. uh, of international people. So it's it's really gotten to. That's why it's called the International Health Care Summit. I imagine. So. Yeah, yeah, that's probably yeah. That gives a clue. Um, but anyway, I'm I'm not going to be at the AFA convention, but I'm going to I'm going to see if I can get there next year. I'm certainly going to come at the 50th anniversary because that be, oh yeah that should be I, one big party. I think it'd be a hoot. It's going to be in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and that's where it originally started was in New Mexico. And that's the the first time I went was just after I visited you a month after I met you. Was yeah. The first one was in Albuquerque. Yeah. So that's another good reason to go. Right. I don't think it'd be too cold either. Well, that's even better, because it's always cold here in Cincinnati, that's for sure. Okay, Dan, that's brilliant. Thank you for um, speaking to me about your life and about everything you've done. Amazing uh, involvement in our industry over, over 40 years. And I can only say I hope we carry on meeting at least once a year, which we seem to have for the last 30 years, which probably average once a year. And um, it's been really great talking to you and uh, you're a fantastic veteran farrier with so much experience around the States. Well, I appreciate it, Simon, and it's just, it's always a pleasure to, to see you and, and, uh, and our friendship and stuff through the years has been uh, fabulous. I mean, even though you made me lose an account once in a while, but that's okay. Well, you know, sometimes our friendships <laughs> cost ourselves. Okay, Dan, right. thank you. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more information at hoofcareessentials.com. You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com. Thanks for listening.